season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. JKR podcast today we have Arkansas Sticks third baseman cleanup hitter for the class of 2024 Nebraska native and 2024 LSU baseball commit we got Kale Fountain on the podcast Kale pumped to get you on the show man how are you doing today doing well doing well thanks for having me hey of um, course of course as soon as coach Brewster said hey you want to get Kale Fountain on the show I'm like hell yeah man let's let's, <laughs> let's get him on the podcast but no uh one question I do like to start off the podcast with, with everybody I get on, um, the question is, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Kale Fountain? Yeah, you know, um, for me, I grew up in, you know, like you said, in Nebraska, kind of Midwestern raised, um, a good balance between the country and the city, um, kind of more country with my family um, out in um, a small town in Nebraska. So I kind of just, you know, was raised just on the farm in a sense. And around a lot of great people in my life they could just taught me to just put your nose down and work hard and um obviously respect everyone and you know along along the road I picked up a lot of great things from people and that shaped me to, to who I am today on the field and as a person and um in reality you know obviously I like to talk a lot meet new people and and things like that so just me as a whole is just you know you get a lot of respect and somebody who's just going to work hard and give you not give you any problems and stuff like that. So awesome. Awesome. So you said you're in the countryside of Nebraska. So I know obviously I'm from Indiana, so I'm like a couple States away. I really don't know Nebraska that well. I've mm-hmm. heard of Lincoln, obviously where the university's at, but besides that, is it mostly just what corn bean fields kind of just a bunch of small towns or kind of, kind of give us the vibe of what it's like in Nebraska. Yeah. So for me, I live the most South Lincoln you can get. So I'm kind of you know, on in the verge of the country, kind of cornfields, like you said, but also city. So I get a mix of both. Um, my high school is um, Class B in Nebraska. Hickman, Nebraska is the, um, the town. It's growing really fast right now. But actually, our high school is kind of in the middle of a cornfield right now um, out there. And it's honestly, it's a really cool kind of tightly knit community um, where you get to know everyone. Obviously, there's a lot of last names that run deep in, in the community. And it's just kind of something I like to be a part of. And Obviously, like I said, growing up in that kind of lifestyle, it's it's been easy for me to just, you know, be a part of it and how easy going it is. And for me, my family side of things, um, Bruning, Nebraska is where um, my grandparents and some cousins live. And I mean, it's a town of 300, 400 people. Um, I get to go down there. My grandparents live on a couple acres. You know, you get the four wheelers. Um, you got the dam just down the street. We get to go fishing and things like that. So um, I get my, like I said, I get my my fair share of the country and city. And, um, you know, I can drive five miles um, north to get some raisin canes and five miles out into the country to, you know, pass some cornfields and things like that where my hitting facility is. So, yeah. So, yeah. so you said five miles north to go to Kane. So is that, and you said you're, you're south of Lincoln then? Yeah. Most like the most South Lincoln you can get before it cuts off. So, okay. so how, so how big is Lincoln? Is it mostly a, is it mostly big because of the university that's there or is it kind of a bigger city just in Nebraska? Yeah. So obviously it's the capital obviously. And the, the university helps out a lot. Um, you know, you see how big Nebraska football is and different things like that. Um, the, in reality, it's, it's, 
Nebraska is rapidly growing on the outskirts of Lincoln. Obviously, Omaha is really big, another big city, because um, everyone knows the CWS. I'm sure all the baseball fans listening in will know Omaha. But um, like Hickman, like I said, where my my high school based out of the main the main uh, town, I think in 15, 20 years, it's going to grow big enough to just be part of South Lincoln and stuff. So it's rapidly expanding. Um, there's a lot of people moving in. It's a great place, place to live and people are realizing that. So, so yeah. You said Hickman is class B for mm-hmm. high school. So what, yeah. exactly, what exactly does that mean? Like how does, how does high school um, sports in Nebraska run when it comes to class A, class B, however that works? Yeah. So no, so Norris is the high school. Um, so Hickman's like a main feeder into it and Firth and other places are some um, town names, but um, so they, they have it as class A and B for just baseball, but they're expanding the C this year because there's more and more schools that want to be a part of it and it's growing so fast. So um, class B will kind of be more like um, obviously not heavily populated in the high schools and stuff like that. I don't know the exact um, metrics and numbers, um, what goes into it, but you'll see a lot of like Lincoln schools and Omaha schools that are class A because they have more people um, like Millard West won state last year for class A and they were really, really good and got nationally recognized on um, I think like perfect game rankings and stuff as a high school program and stuff. So um, class B is just right under it. Obviously like we still play a pretty heavy class A schedule. So the only difference is that state for us is just all class B teams, which um, so they kind of, I don't, like I said, I don't know the numbers, but there's a good amount of stuff that goes into it. Okay. So when it comes to Nebraska high school baseball, like what is the, obviously you're a pretty talented player for that class 2024. I know you're projected like whatever you happen to be. I've see, seen guys like, I think it's like Connor Capeche or Capiz, Yep. I, I, I say it wrong. I think it's Capice. I could be I, wrong. I, I, yeah. I, I just, I've just seen his, I've just seen his profile on Instagram. That's really the yeah. only way. Like, I mean, I've seen him, seen your name, a couple other guys. So when it comes to Nebraska high school baseball and you're just playing your class B, class A schedule, like how often are you facing another guy who's committed to a power five or is projected to be committed to a power five in the future? Yeah. You know, I always love having this conversation because people hear Nebraska baseball sometimes and and won't think the competition um, is going to be as good, but um you know, there's there's some names that just jump off the table for sure. Um, just at Norris alone, I'll start with that. Um, the name Jackson Reeds, um, he's a catcher in actually the Royals organization in AAA. So he gets to play at Werner and Papillion. Um, Trey Hare is another one. CJ Hood, um, I played with last year. He was up in 96 at one point. Um, so there, there's been an Austin Schultz who played at Kentucky's with the Tigers now. Um, another guy who pitched at Air Force named Zach Argo. So that's just from my high school. All those guys have been there. Yeah, so we've got a really good lineup of guys. Um, I think it's Norris is the best baseball program in the state for, you know, decades and decades and so on. So, but, you know, obviously my freshman year, I remember facing um, Drew Christo, if you may know that name, but he was 94, 95. He's at Nebraska now. Um, Just this past year, I'll face various guys in class B, who um, are 90, 92, who are going to Nebraska, Creighton, like um, Capices. Um, and then in my Class A schedule, I faced a guy who's at Nebraska now, lefty, who's 91, 92. So there's definitely guys that will roll out, roll out there and surprise you, and especially with the bat, too. Um, there's a Tennessee commit, Kentucky commit. One of my really good buddies growing up, um, Mike Valdivia, just committed to Tulane. Um, so, you know, roots run deep here. And obviously all these kids were growing up in the Midwest and, um, I got to work with a lot of them growing up playing in different organizations in Omaha and stuff. And um, just to see us all 
you know, come together and be successful. Just knowing that um, we're maxing out our potential as, as athletes on the baseball diamonds is, is really cool. So it's definitely a, a really good state of baseball. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a lot more than I was expected. Like yeah. you mentioned, like people think Nebraska baseball and like I said, I mentioned a couple of guys, but no, like that's, I mean, that's, that's legit, especially your high school, having all those guys in the minor, in the minor leagues playing college ball right now. But when it comes to guys who stay in state, where do you think they go? You think they go to Creighton or they generally go to Nebraska more often? So I, I actually haven't asked any of those guys this question yet. And I've been wanting to, but um you know, I think for me, it just comes down to fit for, for guys. And sometimes guys will think they'll fit in better in Nebraska and Creighton and, and different things like that. There's a, there's a good Juco program here, um, a couple ones in, in the Jayhawk League and stuff. So it all just depends on, on you know, obviously what if they believe in themselves too and things like that, you know, just um, making, making that decision on where you fit in the most and visits and relationships with coaching staff. So it kind of varies. Obviously, the recruiting battle – can get heavy here in Nebraska between um, in-state schools, which is, it's fun to watch where kids end up for sure. So do you think, are there other, so obviously, so I guess I've never really looked at a map and kind of look at where Nebraska's at, but there's what, Kansas, Iowa, where are some of those states that surround Nebraska? Yeah. So Kansas is, is one of them that has um, some of my good buddies played at like cloud community college and Cali community college um, in Kansas there. Um, Iowa, other, another one, South Dakota and different, different states like that, Colorado and stuff. So obviously there's a lot, there's a lot of really, really good programs around that, that take kids, a lot of kids in there's, there's even one 40 minutes down the road that pumps out guys all the time, um, as a Juco. So, so yeah. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that your high school, obviously you mentioned all those guys who are playing at the upper, at the next level, but what do you, you mentioned that your high school has kind of been a powerhouse the past 10, 15 years. So what do you think has led to that success? Like, is it the same coaching staff? Has it changed over time? Or like just overall, like with you being an insider, what do you think um, is the reason for that? Yeah, no, I think you know, a lot of things that go into it is just a guy's mentality. Um, obviously, so my high school, um, the coaching staff that's here now has, has been there the past four or five years or even earlier. But um, being around him and just seeing the way he runs the program, um, Coach Bartholomew is a name. He's he's been a great mentor in my life, and um, just being around him and the things that you know the programs he gives me and the the leadership he gives me and things like that, it's easy to see how these guys can be successful. Because um, you're given the tools, it's just you got to do the work and things like that. And um, I think he was given a program a program passed down to him that was obviously filled with good players and good coaches and. Um, it was easy to keep that going. And, um, you know, obviously when you get the guys, the big physical guys from the Midwest and stuff, if you get them on the right track, it's just gonna, it's just gonna build and flow. So, so yeah. So take, so take us through what last season was like and maybe what you guys are expecting this upcoming spring. Um, maybe some guys you're bringing back or some guys that you, you lost um, just because they were seniors. Yeah, no. So this last spring season, we had a really, really good season. Um, we were we were led by some really good seniors um, who I mentioned who are playing at like schools like Barton Community College, uh, Cowley and um, Cloud Community College. And um, they were a good core for us. And the good thing was that, that is that they got on the field. And so do I the, the year before my freshman year, their junior year. And they kind of set the tone um, that year. And we we followed it up really well. Um Unfortunately for us, we got the state and we ended up going 0-2. I think just um, not that the pressure got to us. We just chose a, a bad time to play to play bad at. But, but um, no, we had a, a really good year. Um, you know, we bonded really well and um, things went well. And 
Um, it's just crazy to think. I didn't realize how different a year can be from my freshman year to sophomore year and how things work and just the different leadership and the relationships I've built with those guys. But uh, I think we ended up going, I, I'd want to, I'm probably wrong. I can't remember the number 26 and um, eight, nine, maybe 10 or something like that. It was a really solid year for us. So, so yeah. And we're looking forward like to build on it for next year. So, so you said your guys' season starts like around like March 15th, March 16th. How long are you guys going um, until the end of the regular season to where state's at? Like, is it around the same time school ends or how does that schedule kind of line up within school and like going into summer? Yeah. So I, I always remember these, these dates because, um, and the school is right around state. So I have finals during the same week. So it definitely gets tough for sure. But I think um, my freshman year, we played in the state championship and I believe it was around the May 16th, 17th around there. So it's when school's wrapping up, that's for sure. But um, we get in a good 30, 35 games. If you make it all the way through there, um, uh, we play earlier kind of 430 so that the weather doesn't get as cold early on in the spring and stuff so that we can make sure to get that varsity game in the books. But um you know it's a it's a definitely a long season it can get hard for sure but on um, the way we look at it it's just a really good um you know way to prepare for college and how that's going to be on the road all the time and stuff um you know there'll be there'll be weeks where you have four games um you're missing your last classes four times a week so you got to plan with that and be good with teachers and stuff so it teaches you a lot for sure okay so you're so with you guys starting at 4 30 you guys missed that last class of the day yeah yeah okay. the last two yeah Oh, wow. All right. So with you, with you being a junior that's committed to a power five, obviously going to LSU, great baseball program. Do you think you're kind of looked at as a leader on that team or are there a couple of seniors maybe that uh, are looked at as leaders on on your team right now? For sure. No. So the last two years, I kind of definitely my freshman year, I'd say I, I was um, not trying to overstep, I guess, and let the seniors be, be leaders. I had to earn my leadership um, on the playing field and by performing. And so when sophomore year came around, I took more of a leadership role, but I also wanted those seniors to, that have been around and guys have looked up to even me, I've looked up to them and I wanted them to be leaders like they should. And then this year, I'm really looking forward to taking over that main leadership role because that's what I want to do. Cause I, I want nothing more than, you know, for me and my teammates to win and then be successful and be good. And I want to watch them be successful in college. So just pushing everyone to, to their limits to be the best is really important. That's what I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this year for sure. Yeah. So as you step into that leadership role, how are you going to kind of go about potentially uh, take, not taking your teammates underneath your wing, but kind of just leading them to success to a potential state championship or um, whatever you guys happen to do this season? Yeah. So for me, I was fortunate enough to learn from a lot of great guys, like I said earlier, and it's, it's really just being on top of your stuff and, and teaching guys how to be efficient with their time and taking every rep seriously um, and not really not letting off that gas pedal for sure. So, you know, you keep, you keep your foot down, keep working, keep your nose in the books and everything and, and keep working hard in the weight room and hitting and things like that. Um, you'll really see it start to flourish. You know, once you start getting guys, you're bringing them in to hit with you every night, at the facility or lifting with you or different stuff. You see guys kind of start to flock with you and, and together. And once you bring, start bringing one person in, another person follows, it just kind of flows. And, and um, that's what I'm looking forward to doing. We've got a really good core group right now. That's, that's doing that. We support each other and we love being with each other in the weight room every day and hitting and things like that. So definitely just using each other as, as momentum for sure. So you mentioned, obviously you mentioned earlier, all the great baseball talent that's within high school and the high school baseball within um, Nebraska. So for you being, a, being an underclassman last year, being a uh, sophomore, 
what do you think would be tougher when you're facing that high school talent in Nebraska, guys who are 17, 18 years old, just a couple years older than you, um, or when you're facing the top talent in your class for that class of 2024? Are you talking like summer and yeah, spring? Yeah, yeah. So when you're playing for the sticks, when you're playing ball, <laughs> like how do you compare travel ball against the top age, the, the top talent in your age group compared to when you're facing 17, 18 year olds in high school? Yeah. So um, I'd say for the, the approach and things definitely changes for me because um, sometimes you'll you'll see the guys that are low 80s and and things like that in class B in Nebraska baseball and stuff and approaches has got to change to be successful and stuff like that. So I just say, you know, mechanically, not much changes. I do the same stuff. Um, you know, obviously, there's going to be little nits and pieces that are off sometimes that you got to fix. But um, approach wise, I'd say things definitely change. And then um, seeing, you know, there's also a little bit more added pressure, I'd say, during spring for sure, because of the amount of people that come watch your games and and this, all the stats that are tracked closely and stuff like that. So um, and obviously that win column, too. So you want to be good in spring season. So learning to deal with that pressure um, at first can be hard. But once you get to that point where, where you can deal with it, um, you start you start to become more confident. And then by the time you you get through that in the spring, summer just flows and it's really easy because not easy, obviously baseball is never going to be easy, but, but once you get to that point, you know, you're so mentally locked in mechanically, mechanically locked in and you're seeing better arms. Um, You know, more and more you go on that fastball is going to look slower and slower. The heart it's being thrown just because you slow the game down mentally and things like that. So I'd say it's definitely different. Just making, making sure you're staying on top of things strength wise in the weight room for sure for summer and different things like that. Yeah. So what is that what is that approach comparison when you're facing lower 80s in high school ball compared to when you're facing guys who are throwing a little bit harder in travel ball? Yeah. Yeah. So for for spring, I'd say sometimes when a guy's throwing softer, softer curveball, softer changes, different things like that, you can't let you can't speed up the game. You can't go try and make things happen. Um, you know, in summer when you're facing guys 90, 92, the ball will come to you. It'll get there eventually. I, I promise you, you know, you let that ball get in on your hands and, di- and different things like that. And, um, you know, when guys are better, um, it makes you better. It makes you locked in more and different th- things like that. So you can't lose that focus. Maybe if you're facing less of an arm um, in the spring season. So I'd say it's just having that mentality that you can't go make something like you want to go make something happen, but you can't force it. Um, you have to let that game come to you. You have to slow it down as much as possible mentally and physically and just, you know, play to your strengths. For me, obviously I'm, I'm bigger. I'm going to use my power and, and, and speed on the bases and different things like that to my strengths um, and not trying to, to over, overdo things or over try and things like that. So. So as you as you compare um, travel ball to high school, let's move ahead. Let's transition to that travel ball to the Arkansas sticks. But before we do that, you're wearing area code on your chest. So let's sure. in, let's let's dig into that. How that what that experience was like. Obviously, there's not very many people across the country who get to do and experience that. Um, so kind of dig dig into that a little bit. Kind of how you got invited, um, what you were thinking going into it, and what that experience was like overall. Yeah, so for me, I went to a tryout in Lawrence, Kansas, I believe. I don't, I don't remember the date, but um, I know that area code was was August, and I found out I made the the roster a month before. So I had, obviously, I'd been preparing before, but I really, really ramped up to get ready. Um, especially because during this this time during the summer, I had decommitted from Florida State, so I was going to be playing in front of a lot of college coaches that wanted me to see me play and stuff against the best arms and and players in the nation. So. For me, Area Code was definitely the best event I've ever been a part of. Um, playing at the University of San Diego and um, being around the guys on the 
White Sox underclass team and things like that. Like it was, it was unreal. Um, the amount of coaching, like the coaching knowledge I had on that team and stuff and just the ability to see, you know, you get to compare yourself with other guys that are the best in the nation. You get to see where you stack. And, and um, I ended up having a really good weekend. And, um, you know, from, from there, I, I just say, you know, obviously I, I want to do area code again. It was just one of the best experiences of my life, meeting new people and, and playing there and just the opportunities that were presented to me. So, so yeah. So what was, what did that day to day look like? Like what time were you guys leaving the hotel? Was it like, were you, I, I guess, were you guys in a hotel or did you guys stay like somewhere else? Kind of take us through what that day to day looked like. Cause what was it, a three, three, four day event? I think so. We had BP one night and then after that we had games. So um, I remember BP, we flew, we flew in that morning, then we had some downtime at the hotel. And then um, I believe B, we had night BP. It was really, really cool. Okay. So we got to get under the lights and stuff. So that was awesome. And then from there, I think the first day we had two games. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of wake up and get a good breakfast in and mentally prepare for the day. Um, there's a lot of mental things I took serious, seriously while I was down there, knowing I was going to be going against really good competition and um, so I, I guess the day to day was just pretty much the same, um, depending on playing time, obviously, and get and get to the field at different times based on the time of the game. But, um, you know, it was it was pretty much just the same routine, get ready mentally, physically and stuff in the cages and stuff before they had really cool lounges where we could hang out and stuff. So definitely wanted to spend most of my time there at the field and just be around everything and soak it in as much as possible. So so when you're when you're when you're going and playing in events like this, obviously you're a um, primary third baseman, but obviously there's other great talents there as well. So like, are you playing third base every day when it comes to events like this, or are they transitioning maybe other guys who play third base as well? Yeah. So I, I started at third the first day and they, they kind of mixed in some other guys, but majority third um, is, is where I played and I played for the team um, first a little bit too, and some outfield. It all just kind of depends on the guys that are there and, and the reps that they need and stuff like that, because obviously everybody deserves to, to, to have that shot in front of those scouts and things like that for sure. But no, I played majority at third and a little bit at first and some in the outfield for sure. Right. Yeah. So you, you meant, you also mentioned the great coaching staff that you guys have there on that white Sox underclass team. So kind of take us through like when you're, when you're around coaches like that, what are some ways that you're picking their brain, just kind of gain some more knowledge within the game of baseball? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's primarily in the cages and stuff. Um, where I try to pick their brains as much as possible, just asking questions. And honestly, I'd ask some questions where something would, would feel right, but I'd say it'd feel wrong just so I could get their, you know, their input on things, try and absorb as much as possible. So when you have those, those minds and those, and that knowledge present, you have to take advantage of it as much as possible. And um, that's exactly what I did. And, you know, when it comes to the mental side of things and approach side of things, I started talking through, my bats with the coaches with some of the coaches that were in there and just trying to see what they had to say for guys and they'll they'll talk about some of the guys they coach and they've been a part of and things that work for them you know I honestly took some of that back home and I worked on it and I started you know in, implementing it into my mental side of things and my mental game and stuff like that so just and just obviously trying to take as much as possible from there from them while they're there obviously it's a short amount of time that you get to pick their brain but I try and absorb as much as possible yeah. So when it came to guys that were actually on your team that you were playing with, who were some of those guys that you maybe bonded with the most or even guys that you already knew going into it, considering area code is kind of based on regional baseball. So who were some of those guys? Yeah. So there, 
there were a lot of guys from like Oklahoma and Kansas City um, and different things in different places like that that I actually played against growing up um, in youth ball. So like Anson Siebert, a, a name I remember, um, six eight guy going to, to Tennessee at those like ninety four. Um, just so just watching. I remember playing against those guys when I was little and just watch seeing how much we've grown and stuff like that. Um, I guess when we hadn't talked to each other for a while, but when we got there, things just kind of clicked again and our relationships just picked back up. So getting, you know, getting in touch with those guys was really, really cool to me. And like I said earlier, I like traveling and meeting new people. So it was really easy to just get that ball rolling. And, you know, it's definitely a team that, you know, we bonded really well, a couple of Oklahoma state guys, Tennessee guys, um, trying to think of some other schools, but there was, there was definitely some, you know, diversity in there and where people were going and stuff. So it was really, really cool. Really fun group. Yeah. Did you get the chance to talk to some of my Indiana guys, Braden Thomas, Jack oh, yeah. or Bradley Farrell? Yes. Sir. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. No, no, they were awesome. Like I said, I, I love meeting those guys. And I, I know, um, actually one guy from Omaha that went with me, Michael Mechna knew Bradley Farrell from playing with him, um, on the summer circuit for artillery. So when he was around him and I was around um, Michael, I got to know him pretty well. And I got to see him shove one night, which was really cool. And um, is it, so it's Brayton, right? Yeah. But I, I think it's just Brayden. I, so Brayden. I actually, I had a, I had a photo shoot with him and another guy named Brayden. I would, I just called him by their last names. So like, yeah, I, I really don't know if it's Brayton or Brayden, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely remember lefty shove too. It was really cool to watch. So I, obviously I was, I was so happy for those guys when, when they were successful on that stage, because I wanted to be successful too. And just knowing that me talking to them and us bonding and different things like that made us feel more comfortable playing there and it helped settle the nerves a little bit. So yeah. it's definitely, definitely important for yeah. sure. It's cool. Like I met, so I'm actually, I met Braden like around this time last year and he mm-hmm. like, was it, he wasn't even top 15 in in this in the state of indiana at that point but then now with the new rankings that just came out like a month month and a half ago he's number 15 in the nation so it's like it's been cool to kind of just see the training that he's been putting in um just the way that he's been evolving these past i mean this past 11 12 months or so so i was really excited to see him at area code and I'm excited to hear all the stories he had about meeting all, all the new people. Cause he's a, he's a very uh, outgoing guy, just like yourself, where he likes to go and meet new people as well. So it was cool to hear those stories from him, but. Well, sure. No, I remember him. I remember watching him pitch and it was just one of those wild things once he got off the mound. So, yeah. so that, no, that's awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm happy. I got him a shirt that just it says shove day. <laughs> yeah, he I mean, yeah. He likes to shove, but. <laughs> Uh, no, sure. so dig, digging into Arkansas sticks a little bit, digging into Coach Brewster, kind of the way that we got connected. So kind of take us through how you originally got connected with the sticks, obviously with you being from Nebraska and then being a couple states away. Um, so how did how did that kind of all go about? Yeah, so for me, I was just looking for um, – I was advised to play in Jupiter um, just so next year I know exactly how it runs and things like that. So when I was looking for teams, I didn't really have much options, to be honest, because it was so late on when I was looking. And um, I think my advisors through um, talked with Brewster saying, hey, we got a guy who needs to play. And he was he was on board with it. And, um, you know, obviously I just I was all in because I heard great things about him. And and I know I um, I knew some of the guys that were on the team. And to be honest, like the biggest thing that was a separator about Coach Brewster was, you know, you get there and obviously I have some nerves because I want to play good for the team and stuff like that. And those things, the nerves were just settled when I was around him just for the day and stuff and on the field because he's so personal and things like that. And 
Um, he takes a lot of pride in, in teammates being cool to each other and, and, you know, loving each other and different things like that. So, no, it was definitely one of the best experiences of my life being around coaches like that and obviously picking their brains too, like I talked about earlier, just, just as good as coaches. So that's awesome for sure. So take us through that first, that first interaction you had with Coach Brewster. I've, heard, I've been told that he comes off as a scary guy at first. So yeah. t- t- kind of take us through that first interaction you had with him and how that relationship grew over that week. Yeah, so for me, like initially before I met him in person, I hadn't really talked to him much just over text um, because I'm sure he was busy trying to figure out everything for Jupiter. So I didn't I didn't guess I didn't really know what to expect when I first when I met him. Um, And then when I guess when I just shook his hand and then we were around each other and, um, you know, he saw how well I was bonding with the guys and I think he wanted to be a part of it, too. And and, um, you know, obviously he likes to be really close with us and and the team and stuff like that. So once he was around everyone and. Um, you know, he kind of, he has a presence to him, obviously every coach does, but it's one of those presents where you feel you can be comfortable and relaxed playing for him. And, and he wants what's best for you. He wants to protect you. He wants, he wants to make you, he wants to make you good. He wants to make you a draft pick and so on in college, um, a college D1 commit and different things like that. So it's just easy to see that he wants what's best for you and different things like that. And it's really easy to play for a coach like that. So, so before you got connected with the sticks for this, for a couple of weeks ago in Jupiter, who, what was that travel ball team that you were playing for playing for before the sticks? Yeah. So for me, my freshman summer, I played for Trotsky um, with some of those guys that I just known for forever. And that was a really fun time. Um, we played in like tur- USA tournaments and perfect game tournaments, obviously um, this, this sophomore summer for me, I didn't actually travel as much and play as much. I did area code um, junior national. And then I did the MWSA, which was at Coffin stadium um which was a really cool deal that I was able to be a part of but I I mainly prioritize lifting and different things like that and training this um summer off season um so I guess I didn't really have a set travel team so that's what that's one of the things I was looking forward to playing with Brewster just knowing what it what it's like again to I guess to be a part of an organization and meet those guys for sure and um so I'm definitely you know I'm going to be figuring out my summer and stuff I know that's a ways away but um, getting that schedule down and things like that. So, so yeah. So as you go through your summer, your schedule for next summer, like, do you, like, do you think you'll be sticking with one team or playing for the sticks? Or do you think you'll kind of move around a little bit? Like at this, obviously, like you said, like, it's still what, like eight months away, but still like yeah. in your mindset right now, like what, what do you think your plan is kind of going to be just a little bit? Yeah. So for me, I, I like playing, I kind of talked about this on the area Coast stuff. I think it's a lot easier to play, with um, a team with guys that you can be around and coaches that you can be around that you're comfortable with. Um, it eases the nerves and it makes it really easy to, to want to show up to that ballpark every day with those guys and win for sure. So playing with the sticks for sure is definitely what I, what I'd want to be doing. So, so just, you know, just um, I guess laying out that schedule and figuring out what we're going to be doing, but no, I, like I said, it's still, it's still a ways away and um, obviously things change, but that's definitely what I, the direction I'm going to be going in. So. Yeah. And with next with next summer being the year leading to your senior year, I mean, I'm sure that's going to be a busy summer with potentially what PDP, PG National, some of those other big time events that they do for seniors. But uh, sure. getting into those two other events you mentioned at Kauffman Stadium, I've actually never heard. What was it called that you? So it's the MWSA. It's Midwest Scouts Association for uh, Scout like showcase just for Midwest guys. OK, so. so- so take us through what that was. And then after that, we kind of dig into what the, that junior national was like. Yeah. So 
the MWSA, I'd say, was definitely my my other favorite um, event if it weren't for area codes. Um, I got to play up with the 23s. I got invited, um, luckily, through – I don't remember exactly how I got in, but I remember getting invited there and being a part of it. And I kind of talked about um, there's a Tennessee commit that I know in Nebraska and Kentucky commit, and even Capice was there, different guys from Nebraska. So once I got there um, – I got to play with those guys kind of on that stage and in that major league field. And it was a really, really cool deal. I ended up having a really, really good day. I'm at the plate in the game and showcase day too. So it helped me out a lot, gave me a boost of confidence for sure, because I hadn't been playing that summer. Yeah. Um, so no, it was, it was definitely like one of those moments where you're walking on a, in a major league, in a major league stadium on the field and you get to see um, what a dugout's like, like, and things like that, and how that, how that's ran down there. And it's something you take in for sure. And I wish I would have looked around a little bit more and took it in a little bit deeper. Cause I, I think I was just starstruck and just looking around me realizing, um, you know, the game can take you to cool places. So, so is yeah. that the only major league stadium you've, you've played in so far? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah I play. So I get the privilege of playing, um, class B state and minor league stadiums, um, in Papillion. So, I mean, those those are just as cool, but obviously there's a little bit different feeling with that Kansas City Royal Stadium for sure. So, so are with in, with you located in Nebraska, like are most Nebraskan, Nebraskans, like are they Royals fans? Because Kansas City is somewhat close. Or is there yeah. another team that Nebraska people kind of root for? So I'd say Royals is definitely the majority um, just because obviously like there's guys like Alex Gordon and stuff like that who played at Nebraska, who played for the Royals. So a lot of families, you know, started off as the Royals fans because Alex Gordon, different guys like that, and also they're right there. So once, uh, obviously, their children and different things like that are going to follow and be Royals fans. But um, I, I see a lot of variety, actually. So, like, for me, I was the biggest Chipper Jones fan ever. Um, I went to his last game in the – I have to grab this ball right here. 2012 postseason, I got this ball when I was there. Um, so I've been a Braves fan all my life. So I was riding high on that World Series last year. <laughs> so for me, that's just a little background on my favorite team. And then um, like Yankees fans, there's some around here and different things like that. It, it all varies, but I'd say Royals, like you said, is the majority. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, there's Yankees fans everywhere. And obviously, I mean, the Braves have a great future coming ahead. I mean, with the, all those guys that they have locked down for seven, eight years. I mean, that's going to be exci- exciting uh, to watch these next couple of years. So also digging into that junior PG national that you were a part of, kind of take us through that and how it compared to um, that event at Kauffman stadium and also area code. Um, Cause I know you said those two were two great events that you were a part of. So. Yeah. Yeah. No junior national was another great event. Um, I was a part of, and um, I'd say like for, for me, I enjoyed the other ones more just because they seemed a little bit more um, narrowed down on, on players and stuff like that. There wasn't so many guys there for sure, but um, it's definitely something to be a part of, and you know, you get to see where you stack as well um, amongst those guys. But you know, playing in that the East Cobb Complex and different things like that is is really cool. And and um, games in front of um, college coaches and and different guys that are there to watch players play. Um, no, it was a really really cool experience. I got to meet a lot of new guys for sure, even some from like Pennsylvania and different different states like that. So um, you know, facing good arms and stuff like that. And that was coming fresh off my um, high school season, so. No, I was definitely feeling good um, mentally and physically and things like that. And it was a good showcase for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned East Cobb. What's your favorite Lake Point or East Cobb? Oh, so I actually haven't had, I haven't played at Lake Point much at all. So I'd say I've been around it for sure. Um, Like just down there, I just haven't played at it. I haven't been in tournament yet, but 
I, so I had to say East Cobb, but Lake Point's pretty cool. I like, I like the setup there. It's pretty cool. I think it, if I played there, it'd definitely be, might be over that, <laughs> over East I, Cobb. So. Yeah, my, my first time going to East Cobb was this past summer. Cause like, since I said, I'm trying to be an agent and I'm, I'm graduating in about two years. So like, yeah. I'm just starting to like travel a little bit, kind of go around to travel ball to, uh, tournaments and stuff like that. It was my first time at East Cobb and it like blew me away. I was, I was like amazed. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't have that where I'm from. But then I'm talking to people and they're like, oh, well, you've got to go to Lake Point. So that's something I'm definitely looking forward to next summer to go and see how Lake Point compares to East Cobb. Um, but no, you so mentioning um, area code, playing all those great talent, uh, the great talents you do in Nebraska, playing in that Jupiter tournament. Who do you think have been some of the best pitchers that you have faced so far in your career? Um, and kind of take us through what those at bats were like. Yeah, so I would say the one that jumps at me first, I always remember this at bat, was uh, my freshman year facing Drew Christo, who I mentioned earlier. And I think it was in our um, the conference we're in. It's called the EMC. And in our championship game, he was at, at, our, at our field sitting 94-95, throwing at us. So um, having that at bat, I think I actually – First pitch, I swung at a fastball, and I I think I hit a two-hopper barrel that hit off the third baseman's chest <laughs> that kind of took a bad hop, and I beat it out. So I actually had a good at-bat, which I was pretty happy with against them. But um, there was definitely some different arms that, that stand out. Jalen Wordley is another one in the high school season this past year. Um, he's got Nebraska now, and he's a really, really good lefty high leg kick. He will throw 88-91, but it's just heavy with sink and a really good – upper 70s slider and he's developing a change up right now so those definitely aren't easy at bats too and he's really really good um but on the summer circuit I faced different guys like Austin Nye is going to Vanderbilt um I always forget the name but I hit a home run in area code and this I remember the kid was one of the top ranked 2025 kids um throwing so there's definitely been a lot of good guys I mean even in Jupiter we faced Noah Franco um number number one or two ranked guys 25 is he won yeah yeah so I, I remember because he's always a guy that I whenever I like pitch pitch the podcast to like brands or something mm -hmm. I always mention him Max Clark um and a couple other guys just because they're both number one in their class yeah yeah for sure no I remember uh we faced him um the Toronto Blue Jay scout team versus um our sticks uh White Sox scout team so that was a really good game it didn't come out in our favor but it was still fun um facing an arm like that stuff like that so um, there's definitely, you know, various arms that, you know, they're, they're all really, really good going to really, really good schools and um, seeing upper 80s, low 90s for sure. Even some mid 90s, like I said. So, yeah. So digging into that at bat with Franco and kind of what and overall what the Jupiter tournament was like for you. Yeah. So um, for me, I hadn't played for a while in Jupiter. So I didn't guess I didn't really have any expectations for myself. I was just kind of going out and obviously I want to perform really well and I hold myself to a high standard. But. I was just going out and just trying to, um, you know, just not make things happen, but just kind of let my game and, and my work, um, you know, that I've prepared for, just kind of do the talking and things like that. Um, I remember my first night, I got things rolling with my first hit. I had a, I had a really, really good hit, I guess. I hit a ball over the trees and um, on the, I, I don't remember what field it was, but I hit a bomb that, that went a long ways and that was just a confidence boost for the rest of the tournament. And um I ended up having a really solid tournament hitting over 300 that weekend. And like that bat against Noah Franco first pitch, I think he threw me a fastball outside and I just punched it through the right side um, for a hit for a single and stuff like that. So um, there's definitely some tough at bats that I had to work for hits and stuff. Um, but, you know, it was a really, really good experience that I, that I needed to, 
you know, take that next step in the mental and, and physical side of things. So, it was, so, so what was that like wearing those White Sox scout team uniforms? I know, it was awesome. I, I know Coach Brewster and all the players were pretty excited about that. So can I take us, uh, what was it like wearing that? And then do you think maybe there was an extra target on your back wearing a, like a scout team jersey being with the, wearing the White Sox jerseys? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it was the biggest thing for me was just knowing that you represent more than the, just the sticks. Um, obviously, the sticks is the main thing that you represent and um, you want to play good and perform good for for that organization. But just having that white socks or that south side on that jersey just means more knowing that, you know, they're trusting us to to represent them. You want to represent them well, obviously. Um, and you definitely feel that target for sure. And, um, you know, obviously it, it just makes us better because, um, just playing with that pressure and different things like that. It helps us deal, learn how to handle it and different things like that. So, um, you know, obviously all the, a lot of these guys are going to D1 schools and all of them have the same target on their back and stuff. So um, learning to deal with that um, early on is, is really important for us. And um, I think we did a really, really good job of handling it. Um, later on the tournament, we started playing better and bonding more and it became more comfortable for us. So, so yeah. I'm sure. Cause I mean, like, like you say, build a little bit of bond. Like, I mean, those, when you guys were in Jupiter, like it was mostly like it was 23, 24s and 25s. So yeah. like, none of those guys had really played a lot together. Plus there was a couple guys who were just playing on the sticks for the first time, like yourself. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I was, I was told that you guys did struggle a little bit, but like yeah. started playing a little bit better at the end. Um, but also you guys got to be in the Marlins clubhouse for a little yeah. bit with the Rawlings scout team. So kind of what, what was that like? And what was, what was that experience? Did it live up to your expectations being in a, a major league clubhouse? Oh, it was far more than what, than what I expected. You know, obviously I had my, uh, my own locker and everything with name on it. You get to store your, all your baseball stuff and stuff in there and um, not having to worry about it, taking back to the hotel. And um, I mean, it, it was just unreal. We, you know, the first night, like you, like we talked about, um, as a team, we didn't, you know, talk as much. We were just trying to get to know each other and stuff. But once, once, um, we we bonded more and we became more personal with each other, and, um, you know, we listened to music together, some country music and different things at the clubhouse. It really just gave you that team feeling, um, just knowing that you're a part of something special right there, a really special team with a lot of great guys, co players, and coaches and stuff. It was it was really really cool and far. Like I said, exceeded my expectations for sure. So well, really go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just say a really, really cool experience that, you know, it's just one not like once in a lifetime thing, but as of now, you know, one of those things where it was just a wow for sure. Yeah. So you say country music. What was what was the main singer that was that was put on the speakers there when you guys were down there? So they had me on Ox. So I was playing a lot of Cody Johnson and Zach Bryan stuff. Yeah. So okay. yeah. those are two favorite country singers. Are you a uh, are you a Morgan Wall and Luke Combs guy? Yeah, so it, I guess it kind of just depends for me. Um, you know, sometimes Morgan Wallen can be more more upbeat and, and different things like that. You want to listen to some slower stuff, you can listen to like Burn, Burn, Burn by Zach Bryant, you know, that song. And, yeah. and Coach Dawson just has a lot of just really solid songs that are also a little bit more upbeat, too. It just all kind of depends what, I guess, what's on and what pops up in the playlist and what mood you're in, for sure. Yeah, like I'm I'm known as like the the country guy in my friend group. So like whenever they whenever they want a country song on, they always just ask me and uh, no, <laughs> Cody Johnson, uh, Hardy, Morgan Wall, oh, yeah. Combs, obviously. Um, one song you gotta check. One song you gotta check out if you might already know it. It's called Rolex on a Redneck. Have you heard okay. that song before? I I have no. All right, after after we hop off, you got to got to listen to that. I think like it's it's an odd song. Obviously, you can you can yeah. with the name, but no, it's it's so good. But no, yeah. uh, let's, I'll give it a 
Okay. All right. So let's, let's dig into the recruiting process a little bit. Um, so you did start out committed to FSU and then mm-hmm. just this past summer, I believe, what was it just a couple of weeks ago, you ended up committing to LSU. Mm-hmm. So kind of let's, let's go through that process, kind of how that first recruiting process compared to that second um, and overall kind of how it all got started for you. So during that first initial recruiting process, when you did decide to go to FSU, when did that recruiting process start? And uh, when was it that division one team started reaching out? Um, I think that relationship started about um, really, really early in my eighth grade year when I had just turned 14. So um, obviously for me, I was bigger. That always helped me um, for projectables and different things like that. So once I started posting stuff online and getting in contact with these coaches and people reaching out on my behalf and stuff, it just kind of, um, you know, it just built from there. And I eventually b- built a really good relationship with the coaching staff at FSU. And I committed in May of 2020 during COVID to Florida State. Um, so I guess that that started really young for me. Um, it was definitely, you know, my parents, nobody persuaded, like pressured me to make that decision. I felt comfortable and I felt like I was mature enough to make that decision. And honestly, uh, it's not now that I'm decommitted and committed somewhere else. Um, it's not something I regret doing because it, it helped me a lot maturity wise and and growing and different things like that. It it helped me. You know, I had I held myself to a higher standard because I had that commitment to my name and it made me work even harder. And um, I'm really grateful that I had that experience and it helped shape me to who I am as a person and ball player now. Yeah. So So, as you were going through, do you think when the FSU coaching staff was reaching out, do you think since you were an eighth grader, do you think they treated you any different than if as if they were recruiting maybe a sophomore or junior in high school? No. So I think the only difference is, is just that they can't reach out to me when I'm that young. Obviously, um, for me, the second time around, I waited until September 1st, my junior year to be able to have that free Um, connection and stuff. I don't think there was any any difference at all. Um, I think they treat every kid the same um, because obviously they want you to come to their school and things like that. But, um, you know, it's just different because I'd have to, you know, set up that call and text them like, hey, I'm going to call you at this time. They can't text you back. You have to call them at that time and just hope they answer and stuff like that. So it's just kind of a different relationship that um, develops more down the road as you become older and some of those NCAA rules kind of go away um, once you get to a certain date and stuff. So I'd say that's the only difference. Yeah. That's a, that September 1st deadline for, for, for basketball. I've, I've said this before, like to other people, like for basketball, football, like I get it. Like I understand since guys aren't committing until they're junior seniors, but with baseball, I mean, there's so many, like I just saw a 2027 guy commit. Um, just like two couple of days ago. So it's like, it's so tough for the NCAA to put those regulations on because it just makes it so much tougher for guys like yourself um, and just coaches within college baseball just to communicate with recruits. But no. yeah. Um, so when you were going through those initial conversations with Florida State, kind of take us through uh, what were some things you guys were talking about? Okay, kind of just take us through what maybe the first time you got connected with the FSU coaching staff. Yeah. So the first time I got connected with them was through um, an organization I played for in Nebraska. And um, it was just kind of those like, um, you know, one of those initial phone calls where you're just getting to know the person. And the biggest thing I liked about that, about Florida state and the coaches there was that they were really big on the relationship aspect of things. Like they're not going to try and rush this, this process with me or anything like that. They want to build that relationship so that I know what they're all about and they can figure out, you know, what I'm about and how I like to play and different things like that. And my style of 
communication and stuff like that. So it was, it was really just, you know, there'd be a lot of talks obviously about baseball and different things like that, but there'd also be stuff about, you know, you talk about the school or the weather in Nebraska and how it differs from, from Florida at the time and different things like that. So it's just building that relationship for sure. And that, that was another thing that helped me kind of make the decision to commit there when I was so young, because um, I felt comfortable just um, building that relationship. And it was a big step um, for me in that process. Yeah. So go, so you got connected with them. You said early in your eighth grade year, you ended up committing yep. May of your eighth grade year mm-hmm. so between, between that time frame, between that process, were there other schools that were reaching out as well? Or for the most part, was it just Florida state you were in contact with? Yeah. So I remember there was um, a recruitment video that got sent out of me hitting. And then that's when things really started to, to um, come along with schools. Um, I don't remember the initial schools um, that I had talked to that, that night and that week um, once that video was out there. But I know that, um, you know, there were a lot of really good programs that I, that I looked up to as a kid that, um, you know, it was kind of almost like a moment for me that I was like, wow, this is really cool. But like, this is, this is serious for me now. And I need to start taking this just as serious as I want to. And this is a position I want to be in. And I think I'm on the right track working hard wise with the right people. So, so yeah. So what, so when it came time for you to where you did commit May of 2020, were there a couple of schools that maybe finished a close second or a close second and third um, behind FSU or for the most part, was it your head just dead set on FSU? Yeah. So from the, I'd say from the beginning, my head was always just dead, dead set on FSU. Um, I kind of talked about that relationship aspect. It was just a different feeling I got on the phone with, with um, coaches there and stuff like that. So once, um, you know, I got that offer and things like that, um, I took some time, you know, obviously sit on it and think about it. But then I, I knew that it was it was at the time where I wanted to go before the coaching before the coaching change and stuff like that. So. So you talk about the relationship there, but what were some other key things that was just going through your mind, your thought process as you're making the decision that made it? OK, yep, FSU is where I'm going. Um, and that kind of just puts your 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 mind on going to FSU. Yeah. So for me, I. Uh, Florida State was always one of my dream schools growing up. I remember watching them in the CWS and stuff. And um, I even had a Florida State ball that was given to me by a player at the, at the CWS when I was younger and stuff. Um, I, I always wanted to play ball um, somewhere warm. And obviously, Florida's pretty warm. So that was another thing. But, you know, just talking, obviously, those coaches, like you said, was the biggest thing. But um, getting in contact with with academic side of things and and the um, programs they have to offer for me that for degrees I can get like sports admin stuff, business management, and different things like that. It just it it, it sounded like nothing. They couldn't say anything that was wrong to me because I was I was so in on wanting to go to Florida State that young. So, um, like I said before, that coaching change um, happened. But um, no, I, I think it was it was obviously a tough decision to make. Um, you know, because you want to make the right one, but I don't think I. I went wrong with that one. So it just kind of just didn't work out in the end. That's just how it goes sometimes. Yeah. So could you take us through that day where you realized, all right, I'm committing to FSU. Um, now I'm doing it as a, as an eighth grader, as heading into my freshman year. Can I take us through what that day was where it just kind of clicked where you're just like, all right, I believe FSU commend FSU is the best, the best thing for my career right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just a lot of talk family um, that we sat down and, like I said, they didn't pressure me at all. They wanted me to make this decision based on, you know, if I felt comfortable with it and ready. And, um, you know, just talking with them, I just I just felt that sense of comfort and I was just ready to make that decision. And um, obviously it was a really, really cool moment for me and my family. And, um, 
you know, just everything that we've done up to that point had, had been paying off. And um, we look forward to, you know, keep progressing and keep having that relationship with them and, and different things like that. So, so a couple of years go by, you continue to continuously build that relationship with the FSU coaching staff. And then, like you mentioned, there's a coaching change. Mm -hmm. Take us through what was going through your mindset, maybe the conversations you had with your family. You don't have to, I guess that's kind of personal information, but I dig into it just a little bit. Like what was going through your mind uh, when it came to, all right, there's a coaching change. Like, what do we think is best? Um, And then how long was it until you were like, okay, let's, let's decommit and kind of see what our options are. Yeah. So I think it was a a month after um, the coaching changes when we decided to decommit. I think just the biggest thing for us and and talking with my family, we kind of saw it as an opportunity to take a step back and really digest what's going on, everything that's going on around me, because the landscape in college baseball changed so much between eighth grade and my sophomore year. And it's only, it's going to change so much more. So we, I guess we kind of wanted to get a new perspective, a new look at, at the way things were being um, handled um, with different programs and stuff like that. And we, and like I said, we saw it as an opportunity to be able to do that And with my, um, September with September 1st coming up and stuff in my junior year. Um, you know, we knew that the visits could have been ha- possible, which we, we went on and we took advantage. Of that. So really it was just a moment for us to just kind of take a breather and digest everything and, and, um, take those visits while they're there and find that, that true right fit for sure. Yeah. So when September 1st hit, what was that day? Like, I'm sure you were on the phone all day talking to a bunch of different coaches, uh, when September 1st hit and even those couple of days after, what did your days look like just talking to different coaches at different times? Um, just kind of take us through that a little bit. Yeah. So um, actually for me, I had school on those days. So I kind of let those coaches know that. So I, I took the time before to kind of have it narrowed down a little bit. So it wasn't too crazy. Yeah. I think at the, um, I don't remember how many schools I had it narrowed down to, but I know I wasn't overwhelmed or I was never feeling like too stressed about it um, in a sense, but, um, I, I luckily I had school, so I had some time to, you know, focus on my schoolwork and be with friends, kind of, you know, um, just take school as an opportunity to to lay low and relax for a little bit. And then once I was out of school and have, and those coaches could call me, um, it was a little bit different being on the phone and stuff. It was kind of hard to balance, you know, trying to get all my work and lifting in and being on the phone. But I know that that recruiting process is just as important and I'm only going to have one go on it. So I had to prioritize it for sure. But um, finding, finding that balance for sure was really important to me. And I think I did a really, really good job with that. Yeah. So besides that September 1st deadline, uh, with your first recruiting process kind of being about two and a half years before your second one, kind of what were some of those other big differences that you saw? Um, just maybe your conversations you were having with coaches and just a couple of things that were different. Um, man, that's a good question. I, I'd have to think about that for a little bit. Um, well, I'd say that the biggest difference was just like the amount of information I guess I could absorb just from coaches, the, the ability to text them and call them after that September 1st date. Um, it gave me a new perspective um, to what a program truly was about all around. I got, you know, talking with different coaches, obviously players now when you go on these visits and stuff like that. But um, no, that was really, really important. And also the biggest difference was I had matured a lot and I knew um, what I want, to, what what I want to do degree wise and stuff like that. So I can factor that into my decision and look into that and different things like that. So um, just knowing that I myself had changed. And like I said, the landscape of the college baseball had changed. Um, things were different. And 
um, you know, I wanted to take a step back and digest that, which is exactly what I did. And um, I'd say that's just the main difference, just the amount of information I, I was able to take in from these different programs I was in, in touch with. Yeah. So after September 1st, when you were able to go on a couple of those visits, what were some of those visits that you went on? So I was some of the schools that you were kind of narrowing down. Yeah. So I went um, to Texas, um, LSU, obviously, um, Arkansas and um, oh man, Mississippi State were those four. So. OK, so what it came down to, what was it? Was it three weeks ago, kind of when you committed? Mm -hmm. LSU? Yeah. OK, so when you did, when it did come time to commit to LSU, uh, was there a school that maybe fit like again? Was there another school that was kind of close behind LSU um, in, in your mind that you were kind of debating between? Yeah. So obviously just those phone calls to make to let a program know that you're not going there is, is really, really tough. And um, I think all these all the programs I was in contact with were great programs. Um, and um, like I said, it, it wasn't easy to, to tell them, hey, I'm, I'm deciding to commit elsewhere because I know that they would all I don't know, have their best interest for me and things like that. But for me, it was just when it came down to it was that finding that true fit and that different feeling um, when I stepped on campus and I felt that at LSU. And um, me and my family, I guess, just got a, a sense of, of um, comfort and stuff when we were on that campus around the coaching staff and, and stuff like that. So when it came down to it, I knew that was the place I needed to be and it made it an easy decision to commit there. So what was that visit like in Baton Rouge? Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I, uh, I said, I'd been, I'd been in contact with coach Johnson and coach Jordan beforehand. Um, they had been recruiting me since I, since I decommitted, but um, just being around them and seeing, you know, how they operate the program and, and how they're personal with their players and, and how they um, go about their business was definitely something I want to be a part of because I know that I'm going to develop there for sure. And just seeing their passion and um, how they interact with my family and um, different aspects of that on the visit was, was really, really important to us in that relationship aspect, like I talked about earlier. And, you know, I mentioned this already, but just that different feeling, like I, you just stepped in on campus and being around um, the state the baseball stadium and, and the players and stuff and the way you were, and I, the way I was treated and, and kind of brought in like family for that weekend. It, it was definitely a, a feeling that um, gave me comfort, me and my family comfort. And, um, I guess, um, we went to a good football game, um, Mississippi State, LSU, LSU ended up winning. So we, we got to watch that and, um, just being around all those players and stuff. It was a really, really great weekend for sure. And, um, I'm actually going back this weekend to go to the Alabama football game and be around, be around everything again. So I'm really looking forward to it. So, so yeah, that's good. That's gonna be a good game this weekend. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I just missed it too much. I had to be around the the big weekend for sure so and how how far how far is the travel for baton rouge i assume you fly to Louisiana. Mm -hmm. yeah. so how, yeah. far, how far is that for you so i usually sleep on the plane so i kind of forget like um how long they are but i believe we flew into um atlanta and then over to baton rouge okay. um I, I could be wrong on that but roughly about two hours and then just an hour over oh so, that's, yeah that's not bad at all not bad at all for sure obviously i wish it was direct but um you know it's not it's not that bad I at mean, all i mean every once in a while I mean, every once in a while you have to take a loss when it comes to that but yeah uh, no sure. did, you, did you have any prior relationships with some of the lsu with other lsu commits maybe guys um who are ahead of you in uh, like 2023 2020 in your class in 24 or even class of 25 no i'd, I'd say i wouldn't i didn't have like really deep um relationships with any of those guys i just kind of 
um, played against them and played with them on on the um, summer circuit national scale and um, talking to those guys and obviously seeing how good they are and I and being a part of a recruiting class like that was really important too because more than anything I want to play in Omaha and obviously being around those guys having is going to give me the best shot to do that as a team and that's that's what I want to do is win so being wanting to be a part of that and just seeing the way those guys go about their business too um and obviously you know if they're that good and they and they um want to go to LSU and be a part of that they they saw something too just like I saw so it's really cool that we are all on the same page and are looking forward to getting down there. So, yeah. So as you had to head to Baton Rouge within about a year and a half to go play ball there, like, are you thinking you're going to be sticking at third? I know you said you also played first in some corner outfield as well. So in your mind, like, what do you think your future holds in as you head to LSU? For sure. The ideal place would be third for sure. And I think that's where they want to develop me the most. And that's where they look forward to, to um, having me play and develop me there. And we've talked about here. So, so yeah. So when you're looking at yourself on the field, like what would be your personal scouting report? Um, so you can dig on to how you play the field, how you play third, um, but then kind of dig into maybe you're hitting a little bit as well and how you interact with some of your teammates. Yeah. So I'd say for me, it's just, obviously I'm a bigger guy at 6'5", 225, but I, I think I can move um, better than most people would expect running wise. I ran a six seven eight um at the MWSA showcase. So um, obviously it's not, six, 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 five, anything like that. But I, I just, I like to play to my strengths. Like I talked about earlier, um, moving quickly, um, left to right, using my long levers and having a presence in that bat in that batter's box and hitting balls a long way, but also hitting for average and not striking out as much. Um, I think in the last two years, my high school season, I've struck out 16 times, 17 times around there. So, um, you know, having that good discipline, good eye and, and bat the ball skills and stuff like that. So I like to play to my strength and, um, obviously, improving my weaknesses um, every day and stuff like that. So just um, overall, just trying to become a more fundamentally sound ball player every day. So. So we talked about it earlier when you were kind of comparing high school to travel ball, when it came to hitting approach, but kind of take us through what your mindset is as you're walking from the on deck circle to the batter's box. And then when you step in, like, what are you trying to do with each at bat? Yeah. So for me, one of the terms I use um, is kind of hunting speeds. Um, There's a lot of like mechanical cues I can use. Um, so my dad coaches on my high school team and he's taught me how to hit ever since I was little and the programs we've been on. So he has mental cues that he tells me during games and stuff and, and um, um, practices. And and when we just go hit out on, on like a Thursday night or whatever, but um, mentally at the plate, I'm just hunting speeds. I'm, I'm sitting fastball and um, seeing that off speed out of the hand and just waiting in that back hip and letting that ball come to me. I'm um, just reading it. Um, obviously I'm going to be, thrown to the outer half a lot just in class B um in the spring season because I'm bigger and I and I can hit a ball long ways for sure but um so it's just having that discipline and not chasing stuff and not trying to make things happen and you really got to hit that mistake for sure you can't miss that mistake if you get that fastball over the plate you gotta you gotta take advantage of it or that hanging curveball so um you know it's also making good decisions in the right counts and knowing what what situation you're in to help the team a runner on third, less than less than two outs. You you got to get that run home one way or another. So knowing the situation, um, and just doing what's best for the team will put you in the right spot every time. Yeah. So. so when you're being thrown to the outside of the plate, are you able to take a ball oppo a long, long way as well, or most most of your power to left and center field? Yeah. So that's definitely one of the things I've been working on. I've always been um, pull and um, 
um, middle, middle of the field, because I've always um, been wanting to, you know, go try and make things happen, not let that ball come to me. So that's one of the things I've, that's the majority of things I'm working on. I won't, this whole off season, I'll very rarely ever pull a ball and BP or stuff like that, because um, the swing that I um, take after is, 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 you know, designed and it's used to help me hit balls hard to all parts of the field. And if I'm having a weakness in the ball the other way, um, you know, then that's what I need to do in my um, practice routine every day is hit the ball every, every single time over there. And actually it's been, it's been paying off a lot because down in Jupiter, I went opposite field for two or three hits. So, so yeah. So you said that you have, what is it? You said 16, 18 strikeouts these past couple of years. Yeah. I, I don't know the exact number. Yeah, I, just I mean, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a low, it's a relative low number. I don't really care like what exactly it is, but um, it's, it's a low number, like you said. So I'm going to take it. You have a pretty solid two strike approach. So kind of take us through maybe what your mindset changes um, when you have two strikes on you compared to when it's a, a hitter's count or you have uh, one strike on you. Yeah. So it's really just thinking middle of the field other way. Um, you can't, obviously you can't be beat, but you should be on time with the fastball from the batter's box or from the on deck circle to when you step into the batter's box. So I'm never really worrying about being beat by a fastball because um, it's just trying to be more um, direct to the ball and trying to get that ball um, through the middle of the field. But also another thing is breathing and not getting too anxious and not trying to let that two strike burden take you down and, and think that you need to be in swing mode. Obviously you want to be in tack mode and, and every single take, um, I guess part of my approach I can, t I can um, talk about a little bit more is, every take is violent no matter what it's yes, 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 no. Um, until you shut down that ball's a ball or you didn't see a well out of the hand, but um, you can't try and go um, chase something with two strikes just because you have two strikes. Obviously you're going to, um, your strike zone is going to expand a little bit. You're going to fight things off, but you can't be in swing mode um, trying to just um, go up there and just poke something in play. You still got to have a solid, you know, solid contact on the ball and, and try and make something happen. So so with your dad kind of being a hitting coach, being a hitting coach on your high school team, and you, he, you said that he kind of gives you a lot of mental cues. I'm mm -hmm. sure that he kind of digs into your mechanics as well a lot. Uh, so kind of take us through what the mechanics of your swing is just from start to finish. Um, like you said, you got you want to be violent on any pitch that's thrown towards your way. But kind of just take us through what your mechanics are a little bit. Yeah, so for me, I want to use my lower half the, to my best ability like as much as possible because that's where all my strength is. And um, hitting off my, not my backs, like not everyone thinks I try and hit off my backside as much, but I'm trying to keep my kinetic chain with my shoulder and my back hip and my knee and stuff like that. So I'm as strong as possible at contact. Um, I like to be in this position right here. Um, I, I don't know if you'll be showing the video, like this picture or not, but a picture where, um, you know, my elbow is kind of at contact. It's strong and it's flexed, not out, not out pushing the ball or different things like that. You want to have, um, you know, suddenness to, to your swing and stuff. So that, that ball really cracks off your bat for sure. But um, sometimes like some mechanical things that I'll, I'll struggle on is I'll try and, like I said, go get the ball and be rushed with my hands and different things like that. So letting that ball travel the other way, um, for example, is really important to us and just cleaning up certain things um, with my hands. And, and honestly, it's just, it's just kind of a feel thing. What works, what works for you now, um, obviously, um, you know, there's certain things that have to be part of the core of your swing and have to be part of your everyday routine, but also just finding little things that you is, is really important. So. so with everything that your dad has taught you when it just comes to being in the batter's box, being a great hitter, um, 
I, I'm going to go ahead and assume that he's been very influential within your baseball career. Um, but if you kind of had to go through and kind of pick two, three guys, you can include your dad as well in this, um, who have been the <laughs> most influential in your baseball career so far, like who would those guys be and what would be the reasoning that they've been so influential in your career? Yeah, man, that's, that's a tough question because obviously there's so much and I don't want to leave anyone out, but I'd say my dad and, and um, my youth coach, Tim Ziola, um, I played for the Omaha Tires growing up, was um, just the leadership and, and the mentorship he gave me growing up. And um, he helped shape a lot to, to who I am now. And um, I already said my high school coach, Coach Bartholomew, is always, you know, he's been, he's trusted me since, he's believed in me since freshman year. And without him, I don't think I'd have the confidence and, and the ability to step out on that field with a presence every day. Um, and there's also just, you know, just other a lot of really, really good coaches out there that have just helped me along the way that um, I all ha I have to give credit to no matter what, because um, without them, I don't know where I'd be. And um, obviously, my, my dad is definitely the biggest one. Um, I just remember I remember throwing to him in, in the yard when I was as little as I don't know, three or four or whatever. It's just been an everyday thing for for me and him. And we've always been close because of baseball and. Obviously, outside of baseball, we're just as close, but baseball's always been that glue for us. So, so yeah. So some some other roles in your life that can be potential here in these next upcoming years are going to be your draft advisors, agents when you do go play pro ball. Um, so like I said, that's what I'm trying to be here in a couple of years once I graduate mm -hmm. from school. Um, so I like to dig into just the advisor selection process and what was it the the key things that you were looking for and the reasoning you chose your guys. Um, so kind of let's just dig into it a little bit. When was it that draft advisors slash agents kind of started reaching out to you? I think it was as early as eighth grade year, I believe too. Um, it's, I kind of, it's kind of similar to my recruiting process, to be honest, because um, I had been in contact with some, and I'd never made a decision to go with one until um, just this past summer. Um, but obviously just being in contact and I think they're hearing my name through various sources and stuff. And it's just kind of, you know, finding that fit of guys and that company or, or that um, agency that, um, you know, you can see yourself being a part of in the next 10, 15 years. And, you know, obviously they're all going to have the, their best interest for you and things like that. But um, finding that, that, that fit was really important and just talking on the phone and, and, and uh, figuring out which one you can be more personal with and, and stuff like that. So, so what was, what was the main way that a lot of these guys were reaching out? So since you said the first guy who reached out was eighth grade and then you didn't make your decision until just this past summer, um, yeah. so I'm, I'm assuming there's been quite a few guys to reach out. So what was the main way they reached out? Um, and just, was there a big difference or was it mostly kind of the same? So I remember, I think some of them just kind of heard my name and just reached out via phone. And then um, along the path, um, just playing baseball in places, we kind of just ran into each other and, and stayed in contact that way. But um, the, the guys that I'm with right now, um, they actually saw, we play at junior national and my dad was standing next to them when they were, were talking to me, I believe. And they just kind of talking via my dad. And then I went over and just kind of started that conversation. We just stayed in, in touch ever, ever since that, you know, that day and stuff like that. So there's, there's definitely different ways that, that they'll come in contact with you and they kind of all have different stories and different backgrounds for sure. And it varies, but I'd say mainly like social media is another, like it's obviously the, the biggest thing that helps contribute to, to who guys are in contact with so so as as the talks ramped up and it got closer and closer to when you were actually choosing your guy um was there like a lot of was there a lot of maybe in some in-home meetings that were going on or for the most part was it just kind of zoom calls and phone calls with you and your family for the most part it's definitely zoom calls and 
and phone calls with me and my family. And, um, you know, some of them will come out to, um, to hear and actually watch me um, on some days, just, you know, field and hit and different things like that and be a part of my everyday routine, which is really cool. But um, I'd say majority were Zoom calls and, and um, phone calls and, and uh, you know, various things like that, just talking over baseball and, and getting to know them and them getting to know us and making sure it's that right fit. So. Yeah. So during so during this election process, were there guys were there guys besides the people that you chose who uh, were also in the running as well, or just talking to these guys at PG National and kind of just being very personable with them? Did you kind of just know that these were the guys that you kind of wanted to go with? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, and I said this about the recruiting process earlier with with colleges. There's no there's no easy phone call to make when say, hey, I'm going with another agency or stuff like that. But um, you know the the agents I'm with now. Um, I'm going to say it again. It was just, you know, the, the way they went about their business and stuff. It just, it felt different to me and it's something I wanted to be a part of. And obviously their track record and, and the opportunities that they can give me down the road. Um, you know, when I sign with a team or, or different in um, different scenarios like that, that just um, knowing I have that comfort and that guidance from them is really, really important. They helped me a lot through the process of, of college and stuff like that. So, so yeah. So now that, so last question about advisors and then we'll kind of dig into some like off the field stuff and end off the podcast. But um, now that you kind of are like committed to your advisors in a way, like how mm-hmm. often, how often are you talking to them on a weekly, monthly basis? I say just almost like every day, to be honest, just checking in and stuff like that. Just keeping that relationship close. Um, there'll be questions I have about, Hey, do you have, you know, any input on, maybe this type of defensive stuff that I've been doing or like, you know, just asking certain questions like that, just picking their brain as much um, as much as possible too, because obviously they, they both have been involved in baseball for, for so long and, and um, the resources they have in, and in, um, in their agency. So definitely they've been very, very helpful um, thus far. And I, I'm sure they will be down the road for sure. And, um, you know, just using them as much as possible and keeping in contact with them is, It brings a lot of comfort for sure for me and my family.